Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, uh, welcome to church. My name is um, Joel. <laughs> um, Joel. Uh, I'm one of our pastors here. I am the um, Connect Demographics Pastor. I oversee our demographic leaders, kids, youth, young adults, in-betweens, 35s to 36s, just, just all of the demographic possible combinations. So if you're new, a special welcome to you. Please stick around. We love new people. I want to bring us around the Word of God uh, now, Ephesians 3, um, verse 14. For a moment, um, I'm going to talk about overflow. It's going to take me about nine minutes to get to the sermon title. So go on the journey with me. We'll get there, okay? So if you're taking notes, don't take notes yet. Uh, or you can, I, I don't know. So, and then we'll pray. We'll get there. Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 19, I'm reading out of um, the Tom Wright um, translation. Um, it says this, it says, Paul speaking, it is one of the four or five um, letters that would be considered prison letters. Um, so he's writing to the church in Ephesus and it says, because of this, I am kneeling down before the Father, the one who gives the name of family to every, not very, to every family that there is in heaven and on earth. My prayer is this, that he will lay out all the riches of his glory to give you strength and everyone say power through his spirit in your inner being that the king may be uh, make his home in your hearts let's continue it says uh, through faith that love may be your root your firm foundation that you may be strong enough with all God's holy ones to grasp the breadth length height and depth and to know the king's love Though actually it is so deep that no one can really know it. So may God fill you with all of his fullness. And then verse 20, which Pastor Ben and I shared uh, around our anointing service at the beginning of the year, says this, so that the one who is capable of doing far, far more than we can ask or imagine, granted the power which is working in us, to him be the glory in the church and in King Jesus to all generations and to the ages of ages Amen. The scripture is outlining a prayer here from Paul in the middle of the book of Ephesians uh, for this early church um, to get a good foundation. And there is an emphasis here on words. I've put the emphasis on the screen, but there is a clear emphasis here on a connection between having a foundation of love and being empowered or having power or having grace or having favor to outwork that love to the world around us. So we're going to talk for a moment um, on the importance of realizing that it's His love that's supposed to be our foundation. And when we have that love as our foundation, we will receive power to go out and do something. I have a glass here. There's a glass on the screen that's half full. Magic. All half empty, right? When you look at that glass, just focus on the screen right now. Don't worry about anything else. And that's not going to disappear. It's not going to steal your wallet.
When you look at a glass, is it half empty or half full? Next slide. What about now? <laughs> when everyone else's seems to be nice and full and you're that center glass, how do you feel? Do you feel like you've got enough, that you don't have enough, that you've been ripped off, that you're about to be filled up, that you've poured some out, that you haven't got enough, that you're drinking too quickly? What's the thought? Or, next slide, what about if everyone has nothing and you have more? Do you feel now that it's half full or is it still half empty? What's your perspective on it? What's your view on it? What's your mindset? Or what if everyone's as empty, but then as these slides go, slowly fills up around you, but you still stay at that half point. They get more full and, and more full and more full and more full until they're full. What is the perspective now? Do you have enough to do what you're supposed to do? Do you have enough of His love for those around you? Do you have enough power and grace? And do you have enough to overflow? At what point do you overflow? At what point is enough? What if there was a jug of water next to the cups and everyone's got lots of water and you're still half full? Do you feel more full now? Are you optimistic now? Are you pessimistic now? What is your view? Or what if the jug is empty and it looks like everyone's got everything? I am infamous. One of my uh, many quirks, everyone say quirks. So I do this thing, whether people know it or not, when I'm at a restaurant or a cafe with someone, I will wash my hands in their cup. It's not very really socially comfortable. People really find it awkward, and then I have to give them my fresh cup. But I just love a good hand wash at a table. Does anyone else wash their hands as a power play in someone else's cup? No, none of you are psychopaths. That's great. That's fantastic. We have this thing in our culture that seems very preoccupied with what we do or do not have, almost to a point of idolatry, almost to a point of addiction. Do I have enough? Don't I have enough? Do I have enough finance? Do I have enough energy? Do I have enough time? Do I have enough health? Do I have enough? Do I have enough compared to those around me? I want to ask you just a, a couple of questions. How much do we actually need? <laughs> How much of God until we do something with what we've been handed? <laughs> what are we wanting? Because we have this like uh, this, this notion that we approach God with that He just wants to give us more and 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 more when we don't really consider what we're doing with what He's already poured in. So we have this addiction to this concept of overflow, this concept of God is going to pour more into us, even though Paul talks many times less about God being in you and more about you being in God, because it completely changes the perspective of I always don't have enough to I'm in the one that is always enough. But there are these verses like in Ephesians 3 verse 14 to 21 that show us this image where God wants to pour in so much into us. But what is required? What is our capacity? How much do we need? Are we comparing too much to how much everyone else has? Are we even the same size cups? Is there, is there different things going on here? Another question is, how much until we overflow to others? How much do you want from God until you do something? Because <laughs> already you are one in 200 million people that beat all of the other sperm to be conceived. That's correct. I just said the word conceived in church, sperm in church. 
you're already one in 200 million. You already took a breath. You already have life. You already have an opportunity. Like, how much do you need until you overflow to your workplace or your family or your parents or your children or to your partner or to that stranger? Like, how much until you pour it out? And I think we compare our cups, but we need to ask ourselves the question, like, am I actually proud of my life? Like, without the comparison, without how much water everyone else has, how much overflow they seem to have, how much excess they seem to have, am I proud of the life that I have? 2020 was a year that locked you in a room and made you live with your consequences. Who you married, what kids you have, what job you have, what decisions you've made, how much innovation, your friendships, your relationships, it was all proven to be what you had sown into. Am I proud of the life that I'm living? Would people be jealous of it? (laughs) Am I being used in in God in such a way that people would look at it and want to duplicate it and follow my example? (laughs) Am I ready to give an account of how I'm using my life, how I'm using the power He's given me, the love that He's given me? Am I ready? Can I give you a couple more questions? Why is it that so many people overflow so little? said in church life that 20% will do the 80%. Why? (laughs) Is it because we overflow so little that the supply isn't good enough? Like that God doesn't want to give us more? (laughs) Is Is God somehow deficient in his ability to pour into our lives? Is it the demand is not there anymore, that the church is irrelevant, so our cup doesn't really overflow because who really wants this going on? Are people not in need? Like are people not needing healing and salvation and revival? Do people not need their lives transformed by the love of God? I don't think the issue is supply or demand. Is it that we're too selfish? Is that the reason why we're not overflowing? (laughs) Is loving others not too high on our list of priorities? Do we spend more hours working or existing or surviving or comparing? Is loving others just simply not, Jesus, what are the two great, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love others is like this. Is it just not high enough? One more question. Um, Can we get over what we do and don't have, please? (laughs) Can we just make a decision as a church family to just get over how much or how much isn't in our cup? (laughs) How much we can or we can't? How much is just so fixated and worshipping us? Could we just get over it? (laughs) Get over the labels that said you couldn't? Stop worshipping your energy level or your mental capacity or your skill set or your gifting. Stop worshipping your weakness or your strength. Stop worshipping your gift or your lack of gift. Can we just move past the glass being half full or half empty? Could we move to something better? Because yes, we all have these predispositions, these 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 moments before something occurs to, to look at a glass and either see the bad first or the good first. Some of us, we just by default, we'll, we'll see the problems before we will see the opportunities. We'll see the problems before we see the possibilities. But I think instead of being so focused, so fixated on whether my glass, <gasps> there was water in it the whole time. He never drinks coffee in the auditorium. 
Look around at the stains. Look around at those stains. That's you. That's your sin. Bring coffee into the auditorium. I think instead of being so focused on these things or on our supply or our demand or comparing this person has more than me, this person, blah, 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 blah. Maybe we could realize that we need to have an important, godly, biblical mindset shift. And this morning, I believe it's going to happen. I think how we think matters. I think God wants to transform our thinking so that we would see His will in our lives and less of our excuses. I find myself looking at glasses and I was trying to prepare this message. Libby um, is on staff here at church. And I was in my office this week with so many glasses all over my table, jugs of water, trying to just pour. I was pouring water everywhere. There was buckets involved. I was overflowing things. I was just making a real mess. It was amazing. I tried to smash a glass at one point. I was just really trying to nail the analogy of what was happening. <laughs> but then I found myself, can I drink this? No, I'll pour it in here. Will it go back in the hole? Let's see. No, guess I'm not drinking from that anymore. Oh, it is going in slowly. Hmm, this is fun. I find myself looking at a glass and I really genuinely don't think that's half full or that's half empty. What I think... Um, I could drink it, couldn't I? Thank you. Um, I don't think optimistically where I'm, and I, and I don't think bad. I am just so shocked that I have a cup at all. And that's not like extreme optimism. Sometimes my cup is completely empty, but I know that I serve a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine that wants to pour out his riches into my life. And no, this scripture is not talking about finance. <laughs> it is talking about pouring out his entire kingdom into us. His entire love, even though Paul describes here in these, this group of second verses that we are unable to understand and fathom how deep and wide and amazing it is. But he prays that we would still be full with him. So when I was looking at this glass in my office, I wasn't thinking, I tried to do many things. And then I just got to the point of the sermon title this morning, which is what my head goes towards, which is just 99 things to do with a cup. I don't have 99 points this morning. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. You're going to be able to head off to some delicious food. May I recommend Five Little Pigs? Uh, may I recommend The Growers if you like sloppy pizza, um, which me and Alex do. So we recommend that. Um, there's a place in Waraji now. Um, what's it called? Food Works. Yeah. Um, no, that kebab place. That is good. You'd like it, Pete. You'd like that. Have you been there? Yeah, that's good. But I pray that there would be a resourcefulness, a creativity, and innovation inside of the church to realize I don't need to compare. I don't need to compete. What I need to do is understand that there is... 99, and the reason why it's called 99 things is I just sat in my office and I quickly wrote down 99 things that I could easily do with a cup. This is a quick 99 little list. So I guess I have ADHD, I don't know. Like this is how distracted I get. It's pretty amazing. Um, not really in a Ritalin, but read out a number, Tom. <laughs> Drink soup like a poor person. That's a weird thing to write, isn't it? Maddie, a number? 
play the song Cups from the movie Pitch Perfect. I got my ticket from a line. Uh, Chloe, give me a number. Make a hat. Amazing. Jim? <laughs> Three. <laughs> no. Um, 14. Hold it for fashion. Smash it to kill someone. No, it was drink it. I'm not a psycho. Drink it was. That, that didn't happen till number 12. 14, 14, 15, 15. Just two more numbers. Come on, Miriam, 13, lucky number 13. Have a chai latte after ordering an almond latte from Celebration Church when Paige put chai on it. <laughs> Nat? <laughs> Wash it up so I look busy so my wife doesn't ask me to help with the kids. Yeah, okay, 99. It gets confusing here. A 99 is add a board and store my clothes in it because cup is the beginning of the word cupboard. So if I add board to it, my brain thinks that that makes... There you go, there's one for the New Zealander. That's New Zealand level of humour there. You're welcome. But make microscopic cups to sort out and remove whatever DNA makes people like Philadelphia fish burgers. So they're all really important things. And what I want to do for a second is I want us just to maybe have some mindset, mind shift, mindset shifts on our perspective of what God could do through our lives rather than being preoccupied with what we do or do not have and just be amazed that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that He has a plan and a path for us in our lives, that we could do exceptional, amazing God-sized things, that we could live a God-sized prayer life that would result in God-sized breakthrough. So let me pray for us this morning and we'll get into this thing. We're over halfway, even though it looks like we're not. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I pray that your church would not think that they are small, that they would not think that they are insignificant, that they would not think they are just riddled with weakness and sin, that we would understand that we serve a good, faithful, amazing, big God. That you have made us and we have an identity in you as sons and daughters to change and shift the world. Do we carry the Father's love? Do we have a power and a grace to carry it to the world? I pray this morning, God, that you shift our attention onto what we are doing with our lives more than what we do or do not have. That we would tap into a source that could only be described as supernatural, could only be described as your presence, could only be described as the miraculous. That we would not be competing with the world, but we would tap into you, God, follow your leading and change the world around us. I just pray one more time, God, may your church not think that they are small. May we dwarf the giants that the enemy throws at us. May we not think we are small. <laughs> 
May we represent the God that we serve better. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Nathaniel. You may be seated for some moments. We have in Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21 here, this, this, I'm just going to break it down again. We're just going to look at these verses, and then I just want to give you a few things um, that are hopefully mindset, mindset shifts. It's hard for me to say. I don't want, yep. Ephesians 3, verse 14, if we look on the screen again, I just want to read it again for us. It says, because of this, I'm kneeling down before the Father. First, we need to understand that Paul prayed more than you do. You do. <laughs> you do. Paul's like foundation, if you look through all of his writings, how much he prays for the church, it's probably why he was so powerful and effective. It probably wasn't his amazing ability and who he was before Jesus. It was probably he was an empty vessel for God, that he learned to be satisfied in his weakness or his strength, having lots or having little, being shipwrecked, being in prison. There was something about Paul that was quick to kneel. May you be quick to kneel. Kneeling down before the Lord and the one who gives the name of family to every family that there is in heaven and on earth. My prayer is that he will lay out, speaking of God, speaking of King Jesus, all the riches of his glory to give you strength and power through his spirit in your inner being that the king may make his home in our hearts. We have this image here of the willingness of God to dwell on the inside of you. Can I just um, challenge you this morning, remind you, if God dwells inside of you, you should probably lift your head up a little bit. You should probably not be intimidated very much. You should probably be like David in the army when Goliath is standing there. You should probably be like Joshua and Caleb when the promised land looks difficult. You should probably be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when the fire is turned up and everyone's bowing down to God. You should probably be a little bit more like every good, godly, biblical character story example we have. To realize that if God is for us, who could possibly stand against us? And even if the world threw everything, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or people like Abraham and Isaac, even if my son dies, I know that he can be resurrected again. There's just this perspective that God isn't done, that we're not on the losing team, that we're not whinging and complaining and mourning like the 12 disciples, forgetting that he was about to raise himself. The Holy Spirit is going to raise Jesus again from the dead and defeat death and sin and pain and suffering. Maybe we could just be a little bit more full of that because then I think we'll understand that all of these riches of his glory will actually give us strength and power. That we would be carriers of King Jesus. And that's this second group of verses if we keep on reading through faith. That love may be your root, your firm foundation. And that you may be strong enough with all God's holy ones to grasp. I love this. That you may be strong enough to grasp the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know. Can everyone say no? We're not called just to carry God. We're called to know the love that we carry. I think a lot of people are simple vessels that have a detached relationship from the God that they are serving. I think the more sometimes we fall in love with church and organizations and going through the motions, it doesn't mean we fall more in love with Him. But I guarantee you the more we fall in love with Him, the more we fall in love with His bride. We may know God's love. And then there's this little, this little catch here from Paul, though actually it is so deep that no one can really know it. So may God fill you with his fullness. Even though is it challenging us and praying this pursuit that we would know how, 
how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is, we won't, but he still prays that we would be full with it, that we would be overflowing with it, I dare say, that we would be so consumed by this root and this foundation of God's love. And then the verses that we read at the beginning of this year, that so that to anyone who is capable, uh, so that the one who's capable of doing far more than we could ask or imagine, granted the power which is working in us, to him be the glory, can I get an amen, in the church and his, (laughs) come on, yeah, it's it's so good, good. Uh, in the church and in King Jesus to all the generations and to the ages of ages, amen. Paul continues to challenge us that this riches, this power, this strength, this resting on his family is good. That our root and foundation need to be his love. It needs to be our starting point. That we can attempt to grasp to grasp how deep it is and how wide it is. But even if we don't know it completely, that we would be filled with King Jesus. That our eyes would stay on him, the one who is capable of doing more. <laughs> Not limited to our understanding of what we can or cannot hold to know the one that is able to do more. This scripture outlines two things, this prayer, kind of in the middle of Ephesians. Some people think that the first few chapters of Ephesians is mainly doctrine, and then we get into how that outworks in in practice. But there's this this image right here in these verses that show us love and power. Love and power are something that sometimes seems at opposite ends. Like the love of power results in horrible things. It results in abuse, it results in demanding one's own way, it results in not looking after the weak, isolating, pushing people into the background, that to be in love with power is horrible. But then on the opposite of that, that there's a power of love, that through love people have done supernatural, amazing, impossible things. But there is an understanding here that if we have a foundation of God's love, that it will give us a strength and a power to move from that. Power is not in itself evil. (laughs) Otherwise, we would not be encouraged here that God wants to give us strength and power. The issue is when our foundation is about us rather than about Him. When it's about how full our cup is or how empty it is rather than, oh my gosh, you made me. God, what could you possibly do through me today? What world could we change today? Whose life could be transformed today? How could your presence overflow from me today? Filled with the... um, almost infinite possibilities of what could happen with the cup of your life. I want to give you three quick mindset adjustments. Is that okay? I want to give you these mindset adjustments, and then I want to give you a bit of a shake. Is that all right? We're concluding. We're getting there. (laughs) The first quick mindset adjustment is this. Most of you is either unborn or undiscovered. Who you are up to this point is fantastic. It's great. Well done. You got this far. But there are so many things about who you are that are either unborn or undiscovered. They are not yet. If anyone has ever faced a situation that is difficult before, you suddenly realize new things about yourself. It's like this, oh my gosh, that's what I do in an emergency situation? I'm like a superhero. That's amazing. Or that's what happens when my finance drops? Oh, okay. I don't really like that part about myself. And one of the things that happens when we are preoccupied with what we do or don't have is we um, forget a really important truth that we are still changing and transforming. The cup is actually unformed. It's still going. God still wants to do miraculous, amazing things through you. But if you are so preoccupied on what the little cup of your life has been able to hold or not hold to this point, 
you might miss a really important mindset shift. You're not finished yet. He's not done yet. He wants to keep on transforming you. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or 112. God isn't done. If you're not dead, <laughs> he's still got things he wants to do in and through you. That's the first little mindset shift. The second one is this. It's often said, if you lose it, uh, if, you, if you don't use it, you lose it. I want to um, challenge the opposite of that. If you don't use it, you actually don't lose it. And it stays in your cup and it gets stale. Uh, one of the things that happens often is when we don't use um, the resource that God pours into us, it sits there. It slowly becomes more and more irrelevant. It can miss its opportunity. It miss its kairos moment, a window in time. The word of God that was supposed to be sharp and effective, it was supposed to be a quickened word for someone, becomes something that we idolize and worship. I want to encourage us to keep on using everything we possibly have in our cup as quickly as we can whilst being obedient to God because he wants to keep on pouring more in it. The church should not be filled with people that are stagnant and irrelevant, that the words that we carry should have been used and shared and we should have been empty faster. I want to give us this mindset shift today. There might be some things in your cup that it's time to pour it out. It's not time to say, I've got so much wisdom and experience. Pour it out. Give it to someone and get more. <laughs> Third little mindset shift is this. And then I'm going to hit us with some scripture. Um, scripture applied is the foundation of a Christian. Scripture applied is the foundation of a Christian. That our faith is not a faith that is observed from afar and agreed on and boxes ticked. I agree with these 10 things so I can be an ACC credential pastor. That my faith is about, the, the word of God stands pure and true with or without you, but you miss out. The life of a Christian is applied truth. It is taking the word of God and applying it to our lives and walking with him. So the foundation of our life should be God's love. It should be God's word. But when it is not, when we do things that are the wrong uses for our cup or when we become preoccupied with what we do or do not have and we get addicted to the whole bunch of just the wrong things, when we get all these mindset shifts that are based on our feelings and our thoughts and our past and our experience and what this person says and what I feel and what I agree on and what I can tick and, and it stops being based on the word of God, we lose so much power that we actually become something that is no longer a little Christ, a Christian. It's just some, some other monster. <laughs> it's just something else. So when we are acting outside of our purpose and we come and hear and understand scripture that's telling us to do and be something else but aren't changed, I'm challenging us this morning that our foundation is supposed to be the word of God. Like it's supposed to be his love. If you hear a scripture and it's telling you to do something and you don't do it, then maybe you're just not walking with God the way that you're pretending that you are. The word of God is supposed to be this pillar, this foundation, his love is supposed to be moving us. So in everything that we do, it should be validated and explained by his word. It should be our foundation. And I say that to say this. I don't understand a lot of things in church life. I find myself quite confused most of the time. I'm a very confused guy. Probably because I'm preoccupied with this cup. Um, there's some things in church life when I look at a Christian's life, I just don't understand. Oh, I, I, the next slide. I, I understand it, but it doesn't actually make sense to me. 
When a Christian looks less like Christ and more like someone that is just, I don't know, addicted to like five or ten beliefs that they have that they're going to push onto someone else. A lot less like a son walking with the father and doing what the father tells him to do and a lot more like, like um, does anyone have an ugly cousin? Like that kind of looks like you but it's an ugly version of you? If you don't, you are the ugly cousin. <laughs> uh, no, you're not. You're all unique. But what happens is Christians look a lot less Christ and what they look like is they look like a copy of a copy. Watch a clone video. There's some interesting things happening with cloning. It's very fascinating. But the more copies that happen, the more deformity they can occur, or just basic inbredness. Like it, things happen when the copies, some, cop, some things are happening that should not be happening. And what happens is when we don't live our life on the Word of God and we live it by a code or a culture or, or rules or, or this person did it, so I'm going to do it, and we don't have this biblical foundation, um, yeah, there's... I understand that we're making these decisions. I understand that we have excuses and reasoning why not, but it just doesn't make sense to be a Christ follower and not have Christ as our foundation. The next slide um, simply says this, which I have on the the backdrop of of my um, laptop, that I have reasons, I have excuses, but I choose not to worship them. Like when I look at someone's life, I'm like, oh yeah, you're not doing this and you have this reason. You're not doing that and you have that excuse. You're not spending time, or you can't hear God's voice, or you're not leading someone, or you're not passionate about new people, or you don't serve, or, or you don't do these things. I get your reason. I get your excuse. And I have reasons and I have excuses. My head isn't always perfect. My family life is not great all of the time. I'm not a peak, I'm not a 10 out of 10, all cylinders, car reference, sports, touchdown things. Just trying to be relevant to all the men. Amen. And I have those reasons and I have those excuses, but I just know that if I worship what's in my cup or what isn't in my cup, I will miss out on maybe 99 things that God wants to do through my life. So a Christian ought to come back to the Word of God. So I want to challenge a few things this morning as we conclude. I want to challenge a few things that if we come to the foundation, if we come to the the base of it, of this action of, of not doing something, I want to give you some scriptures to remind you that you ought to do it. And it's up to you whether you do that or not, or whether you grab a scripture. I love when people do this. There's a scripture that's causing you to action, and they find a scripture to cause them to do inaction, and they put the two scriptures against each other, and they fight. If there's a scripture that has inaction and action, do the action. <laughs> you, have a, you, or you just wanted to do nothing. Is a tie of the New Testament thing. That question is, is 10%, do I have to give 10%? It's not, is 10% the foundation? It's someone looking for an excuse to do bare minimum. When you have a scripture that causes you to serve or causes you to do, and you, you find a little loophole of a verse out of context, I'm going to send on this one, don't be an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So let me challenge this quickly. Um, with just our four steps on if we're not gathering or not connecting or not serving and a few scriptures on them. Does that sound okay? If we're not gathering, it says in Acts 2 verse 44 that all believers were together and had everything in common. There is a view here of the early church that they are in a single place together. Okay? Church online isn't church. Sorry. 
<laughs> ah, tricked This is church. When we gather and we make a decision to have things in common, the reason why church online isn't church is because there is not this thing called people that pushes you and irritates you and makes you question what do we have in common. The church is this image, this gathering of people that make a decision to lay themselves aside for the benefit of everyone and the benefit of Christ in everyone. Second one, if you're not connecting, Hebrews 10 verse 24. So if you're not gathering, there's a scripture to give you perspective on, okay, do I have a foundation that's right? Verse 24 says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Our church is structured in a way that right now is not a moment of genuine connection. You will meet after this, you'll have your Sunday mask on, you'll say, oh, everything's all great. Or maybe you'll have a D and M occasionally. But connect groups are a place where we spur one another on, where we talk about our highs and our lows, where we are forced on another level from Acts 2 verse 44 to unite together for a purpose. There's a new person in the room. There's someone that's been walking with God for 40 years. There's someone in this situation. There's someone in the best day, their worst day, and they are uniting together. They are meeting together. They are making it their habit. Matthew 23, if you're not serving, the greatest among you will be the servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you want to be a Jesus follower, maybe follow the example that he says is the greatest thing. (laughs) The greatest among you will be the servant. The more you lead, it's not the less you serve. The more you lead, the more you serve more people. If you're in church life and you look at your life and you say, am I proud of my level of serving? Start with church, but then go to your family. Go to your workplace, go to your boss, go to that person you don't like. How, how good are you at serving? Does Scripture challenge you at all? <laughs> Does it scare you at all? That <laughs> Does it scare you that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted? Does it scare you that if you refuse to serve that there's this little promise, little threat, that there's going to be a result of bit of humbling that occurs. But if we serve, there's this humility that exalts us. Maybe you're not leading. Acts 1 verse 8 and Matthew 28 gives us these, these basic things of, you know, Pentecostal churches. Love these two scriptures. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples. Everyone say, Disciples little note here there's no disciples yet every disciple that Jesus is referring to here are new disciples it's not meeting with someone that's been saved for 30 years and encourage them a little bit more there's a challenge here for the early church to go and make disciples of all nations yes discipling someone that's been saved for 10 or 5 years is still discipling but the challenge here is go and make disciples Keep making new ones, baby. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So if you find yourself not gathering, not connecting, not serving, not leading, not using what's in the cup to overflow, just check yourself before you become useless. Before God's like, I want that person in your workplace to be saved, but you just refuse to serve them. 
<laughs> Man, I'd hate to be a cup that's got a little bit of water in me and just forgets about the millions of cups that need what I've got and that need the fact that he will pour as much as I can pour out in obedience, he will pour into me. He's a God of overflow. If you want some more, they're on the screen. Take a little photo. Maybe you're not forgiving. Luke says something about that. Maybe you're not radically changing. You're not honoring. Hebrews gives us an image of how to honor all leaders, all leaders, all leaders, all leaders. Maybe you're not reading the word of God. Maybe there's just things that you're not doing and you need to come back to the Bible and be like, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm going to apply this thing to my life. I'm not going to do what Ben asked me to do on the host team. I've got to do a checklist. Yes. Come back to the Word of God. <laughs> Start there. Maybe your foundation. May people look at your life and see you're living for something greater than yourself. Can I give you a few more as Nat jumps up here? I'm not going to read those ones, but I want to read these last ones. And just maybe give us a little challenge and then conclude us with one thought. I want to pray for us. It says, um, maybe we're not hearing God clearly. John 10 verse 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Maybe if you're not hearing God clearly, you need to position yourself to listen more. I'm actually astonished at how many Christians can't hear God. <laughs> but but uh, a very quick publicly to say that they can. God told me to do this. God wants me to do that. Especially when it's counter the Bible. God told me that I'm an introvert and I'll never talk to new people. So interesting. I wonder what God has to say about that. I wonder if there was a book that I could read that showed me introvert Jesus saving the world. <laughs> or Moses unable to speak, leading two to four million slaves out and into the promised land with some casualties along the way. <laughs> I wonder if we can really hear God, if we can hear God for the people around us because Ephesians gives us this image where... Um, God is pouring so much into us, this fullness is occurring. Imagine a church that was simply full with His love and empowered by it in every area and every sphere of our lives. It's heaps better than a church that just sits in seats and tickles each other for 60 seconds to connect and has a coffee when it's too hot and enjoys their ice block and puts the wrapper on the ground and causes a stain. Can we hear God clearly? Are we positioned to listen more often? Maybe we're not fighting for new people. The Word of God has lots of things to say about that, but 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 gives us, anyone that does not provide for their relatives, especially those of their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Get the perspective of that. It's so self-righteous. And there's just anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially to their own household, denies the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's not worse as a value point here. It's worse as a, um, not an intrinsic value like God hates you, but it's worse as in you're not doing anything for his kingdom. <laughs> Are you fighting for new people? Does your life show that you're providing for their needs? Or have you never met a new person in our church before until they got three weeks in? <laughs> until they joined a team and were here for four years and then asked you a question about... I want to challenge our foundation. Is it the word? Maybe you're not thinking about others in the example that you're setting. 1 Corinthians gives us this. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. 
No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Can I encourage you before you make a decision, consider others. Not you. Not what if God has told me to do it and if I don't do it in the next three minutes, I'm going to... I've loved over the years as a youth pastor um, and campus leader when youth come to me and, and tell me that God told them to date someone. I love it. I love all the biblical examples of it. I love how it always lines up with their testosterone or their estrogen pumping around their body. This happens to be the person that God told them they have to date, happens to be the person that they have been frothing from the mouth from every single Friday night, just waiting to just pounce on. Ah, you are my love. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny how God so often says exactly what we want to do already? Isn't it funny how there's so many examples of that in the Bible where Jonah's like, I want to go to Nineveh, and God's like, yeah, go to Nineveh. Where Jesus is like, I want to die for the world's sins, and God's like, yeah, die for the world's sins. Isn't it amazing how it's out there? Yeah? It's cool, hey? It's amazing that so often we think that God lines up with what we were going to do already. It's amazing how well he serves our agendas. It's astonishing. Why is he even there? We were going to do it anyway. We, had the, we knew the right thing to do. Maybe we should stop for a moment and not consider what our emotions are telling us to do. But think of others more than ourselves. But if I don't provide for me, who's going to provide for me? I don't know. Someone called the provider in the Bible. I don't know if I don't date that person, well, what's going to happen? Well, maybe the stench of desperation will get off you for long enough for God to make a way. <laughs> maybe you hop out of the swamp for long enough, God can make a way. Maybe if you stop taking this job and that opportunity and that thing and this thing over there and just stop trying to get yours and your cup full and more for you and more for you and more for you, stop it. And maybe just consider for a second, the, what is this going to do for someone else? What is the weakest going to be affected by this? Who's the most marginalized by my opinion or my view or my share or my ideas? Maybe I'll demand my own way a little bit less. Maybe I'll look to him and look to his church a little bit better. Do you make decisions without thinking about the example? (laughs) And the last one, the best one. (laughs) Are you not getting discipled? It's a scripture here. It's called the Bible. I couldn't, I don't know. It's hard to see many pages in the Bible that isn't showing us discipleship, isn't showing showing us Elijah and Elisha, that isn't showing us, isn't showing us kings to kings and prophets to prophets and and disciples to disciples and Jesus with his 12 and his 12 with more. And like, it's just everywhere, like Paul and Timothy, like it's just everywhere. Discipleship is not you get some word from someone one Sunday and you go and share it and you go see them another five years. Discipleship is you sit with someone, you fight with them for family and you're loyal to it and you build it. You've got a mentor that is um, it's got a mentor that's smart enough to get your eyes off your supply and your demand and help you shift your mindset. A mentor that's smart enough to speak in God's truth and you'll listen. I think the church in our country has either the worst or the least mentors. I don't know. Ever. We're getting mentored by people that are 
20,000 kilometers away from us. They won't look us in the eye and say, get over yourself. Well, actually, that's selfish. Actually, God wants to do something in this moment. Actually, let's just change this perspective. We get mentored by people through screens or we get mentored by people holding microphones. It's not mentorship. It's a little bit of affirmation, encouragement. Get someone and get someone that you are jealous of their life. The way that they lead, the way that they do, the way that God speaks through them. More than the things that are outpouring, there's something about them that I want. Be prepared for all of the fruit from their lives as you copy their example, as you follow them, as they follow Christ. But get a mentor, get a disciple. It's not me. Don't come to me afterwards. <laughs> Find someone. Get mentored. Here's a good test for a mentor. If you got mentored from, for a year or a week, did you change? Because if you've got a mentor that just agrees with you and ticks all your boxes, congratulations. You have a terrible mentor. You're getting mentored by yourself. You did it. Dad said no to you. You found mom and she let you go to that friend's house. You did it. Maybe, church, this morning we could understand this big idea, this final thought, that you actually have some control. You have some overflow control. You can actually look at what's in your life and be like, I'm going to pour it out. Or I'm going to put my cup upside down for a while. <laughs> and all I need is just the God pouring through me and I'm going to let it overflow. Sometimes I'm going to be smashed and it's going to pour out of every possible. I'm just, I'm going to do something. I'm just going to find some uses, some purpose, why I'm here and what I'm doing. Next Sunday, I'm a little bit unsure what we're going to do. <laughs> It's going to be fun. I have a sermon that's called The Three Worst Things Churches Do to Pastors and The Three Worst Things Pastors Do to Churches. Because <laughs> I think, I just want you to close your eyes, I think that we can do a better job at uniting our hearts together to encounter His love and to be empowered by His power using our cups to pour generously into the lives of others. Maybe we could just, you know, lift our gaze. If you're in this place and you just feel um, prompted that you're, you're observing God from the outside, and you haven't made a decision to give your life to Him and you feel prompted to. Please, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. <laughs> if you feel in your heart like, yeah, I, wanna, I want in. Like, I actually want to give my life to God. And, and that is what it sounds. It's not adding Him, it is an exchange. It is a repentance, which means a mindset shift. And then it is a complete turnaround, a 180. To repent and turn. To follow Him and His ways. Or maybe you're in this place and you just find yourself somehow you got back on the out. Maybe you feel like you made a decision once but you didn't follow through or you haven't followed through up to now. And you just want to be like, yeah, Joel, can you pray for me this morning as I align myself back with God? If that's you with every single eye closed just for the privacy of those around you. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. If you need to get right with God this morning. Awesome. I see that hand. You can put it down. 
Is there anyone else this morning that needs to make that choice for you? It's not for me. Daddy Joel is all good. Is there anyone else? Awesome. God, I thank you that you make all things new. This morning, that as we turn back to you, that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We repent from our ways. We make a decision to align our hearts and give our lives back to you. May you do amazing things through them. May you get the glory and the honor. May you do exceedingly abundantly more than anything that we could do or understand or fathom alone. And lastly, God, in this place, this message this morning has located us, has given us a view of maybe something we're not doing or some supply or demand or some excuses or some reasoning that we are putting before you. I pray this morning, Jesus, that there be a special grace and an empowerment from you to move back to what your word says. And then may our lives be a testimony of what happens when we follow you with everything. May be a testimony of what God can do, not when we're perfect, but when we're running back to you every second of the day. A praise opportunity comes up this week, maybe to shift some inaction to some action. May your church be bold enough to be obedient. May we be bold enough to be used by you to do radical, amazing things. Pray that you speak louder than you ever have before this week. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision this morning, please talk to someone. We're here to help and we're here to support you. Thanks for being with us this morning. It's hot. It's very hot. I feel like I'm at Terrera right now. Yuck. Sorry if you live in Torero. Genuinely, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you live there. <laughs> uh, have a fantastic week. We love you. Um, we'll see you next Sunday. Join a connect, serve, do something. Uh, peace out. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.